John Adams' Letters from the Front podcast for June 1918. This podcast looks at life in World War I through the letters of John Adams, who was 23 when he joined in September 1914. He served with the 9th Service Battalion, Royal Irish Fusiliers, and was involved in many significant events on the Western Front, particularly Passchendaele. These are his words, read by his grandchildren, and narrated by his great-grandchildren. This month in the letters we see that John does get home, and we can guess from the gap in the letters that nothing happened to prevent him getting home. Also this month we look at Presbyterian Church, the denomination that John Adams belonged to, about their chaplains in the forces at that time. John Adams belonged to the King's Mills congregation, the minister he grew up with, Reverend Hugh Meekey, in 1914 became a lieutenant colonel in the chaplaincy and the minister that replaced him, Reverend Tory, became a private in the Royal Army Medical Corps. Reverend Mickey's son, William, became a lieutenant in the Royal Army Medical Corps. We have joining us Mark Donald, who not only is the minister of First Garva Presbyterian Church, but he is also a chaplain in the 2nd Battalion of the Royal Irish Regiment. I first asked him about the role of chaplains during the First World War. My name's Mark Adams, and John Adams was my grandfather. In 1914, at outbreak of the war, many people thought that uh, the war was going to be over by Christmas. That certainly wasn't to be the case, and it become uh, entrenched with that trench warfare, with a lot of men at the front line, static positions. And so they found great need for the pastoral care of soldiers deployed with the British Expeditionary Force at the front line. The Army Chaplains Department rapidly expanded from around 50 chaplains to over 600, with the principal chaplain to the British Expeditionary Force being an Irish Presbyterian, uh, the Reverend Dr John Sims. Altogether there were around 41 commissioned chaplains serving on behalf of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. They were commissioned officers within the, the, the British Army, representing the Church, bringing the, the Gospel to those who were serving in the front line. So they would have been involved in administering the sacraments, and uh, certainly that was a significant thing for the Roman Catholics, uh, pronouncing uh, the last rites. So many Roman Catholic priests would have been found at the front lines, uh, as indeed many chaplains would have been, even though they were actively discouraged. Um, they would have visited the sick and the wounded, and uh, would have brought back the wounded, helping to uh, bear stretchers. They'd have given religious instruction too, Many soldiers came to faith and were baptised out at the front as well. And there were the Padres hours where the chaplains were given uh, an hour or so by the commanding officers to bring moral teaching to the men. Because they were educated men, the clergy, they would have been involved in uh, writing letters on behalf of the soldiers back home again. They would have censored letters too. They also had that difficult task of writing home to families to advise uh, loved ones that their father or their husband or son had been had been killed. They also had a, a social aspect as well to their ministry because they had been involved in maintaining morale among the regiments. They had organised uh, sporting and social events. They ran tuck shops and we all know Woodbine Willie, his nickname of giving cigarettes to the men. So uh, it's hard to believe that clergy were uh, involved in the distribution of tobacco and encouraging men to smoke, but that helped uh, maintain morale. So they've organised sporting competitions, football, cricket, uh, song and dance and that kind of thing as well. And no doubt that always would have ended with the singing of hymns at the end of those evenings. 
That's quite interesting because we've seen the history of the 9th RAF. Football was a big thing. And just even a couple of months ago, they won a big tournament uh, out in the Western Front against the Belgium Cycling Corps. But uh, it's it, really quite interesting. So chaplains weren't these men who were back way be- behind the line. They were in the forefront being stretcher bearers and going out. Many of the chaplains were found at the front. Certainly others would have been stationed at casualty clearing stations and also at the larger military hospitals where men would have been repatriated back again home. We also are mindful of the fact that the, the chaplains had a very important role back home again. Those clergy, if you like, who didn't go out to serve in the front line, they had that difficult task of supporting the families back home, receiving that bad news about a loved one as well. So we're mindful of the clergy did stay at home to support the families. And we can see that from... John Adams's mother and the things that are written in the letters about that? Certainly the, the church saw a very important need for chaplains to be serving amongst the soldiers. There were around 134,000 men who went from Ireland to serve in World War One, and we have to remember as well that there wasn't conscription here in Ireland. These men were volunteers and out of that 134,000 men who went to serve around 40,000 were killed. So um, chaplains had a very significant role in um, the burial of the dead. It was chaplains who were foundational in, in establishing the military Commonwealth war graves that we see today and laying the graves out in an orderly fashion, having the cross, uh, memorials, etc. that we have at the front. Um, chaplains were very significant in organising and ensuring that men were buried with full Christian uh, honours. One of the things I enjoy going to Presbyterian churches now after doing this project is looking at the war memorials. And every Presbyterian church has a war memorial where Church of Ireland maybe used the town war memorials more than that. So how did that come about that Presbyterians have had these memorials and they weren't just to the dead, but to those who served as well? Yes, well, there was a monumental task carried out um, at the end of the First World War by the Presbyterian Historical Society. And they undertook the, the, the mammoth task of recording all or as many of the names of Presbyterians who served, who survived and those who died in a role of honour. And that role of honour was completed with around 24,000 names of men and women who served. It gives details of the congregations they belonged to, the regiments they served with and any military decorations which they may have received. And also if they were wounded or gassed or prisoners of war. It really is a mammoth task in which they completed. Copies of the book are, are still available. It makes very, very interesting read, reading indeed. They say that around 2,000 names maybe didn't make the book because congregations didn't return the details so we could be talking around 26,000 or more Presbyterians who, who served in the First World War so that, that was one of the tasks in which they engaged in to make sure that the names would never be forgotten by producing that role of honour of the Presbyterian Church. Another building which is still standing today, it's at the back of the assembly buildings or church house in Belfast, was the Presbyterian Memorial Hostel. It was opened in 1925 and it was built to provide accommodation to men who were coming to work in the city of Belfast after the war. And so it was there to provide low cost accommodation to men and try to facilitate them to gain employment within the city of Belfast as well. Within the, the, the blue books, post-First World War, they make interesting reading. 
Today we talk about post-traumatic stress among uh, soldiers who have experienced conflicts in Afghanistan and Iraq. The, we didn't use that term in the, in the 1920s after the First World War, but certainly the effects of post-traumatic stress were being, uh, were being discussed within the denomination. They were very aware of uh, alcoholism as a problem, homelessness, domestic abuse, mental health issues and, and depression. And many of these, these things were being talked about within the church and how the church could respond in a pastoral and compassionate way. Also, it's interesting to see that it was a very busy time for the Presbyterian Children's and Orphan Society, where the grants in which they were providing to children who had lost a father in the war had almost doubled after 1918. So we can see how the church is responding by recording the names and memorialising them in that way, building this Presbyterian Memorial Hostel, and also then in practical ways through compassion and through providing finances to families uh, and to children who had lost their fathers. Thank you very much, Mark Donald, for all that information. Saturday, 1st of June, 1918. My dear mother... I now take the pleasure of writing a few lines to you hoping they will find all at home in good health as it leaves myself at present. Well dear mother I've got some news for you. If all is well I shall be home on leave on Sunday the 9th of June. So what do you think of that? I hope nothing happens this time which may prevent me from getting home. I hope you've got all right again. The weather is very nice at present. I do hope it may continue until after I get my leave. Well, this is all at present. I shall write soon again to you. Goodbye. I remain your loving son, John. Sunday 23rd of June 1918, Field Postcard I am quite well and am going on well. I have received your letter. Letter follows first opportunity. Thank you for listening to John Adams' Letters from the Front podcast. To find out more about John Adams and his family, visit www.johnadams.org.uk forward slash letters. And you can email us with your comments or questions at letters at johnadams.org.uk. You can also follow at jadamsletters on Twitter. The history of the 9th Service Battalion at Royal Irish Fusiliers during World War I is taken from Blackers Boys. Visit them at www.9thirishfuseliers.co.uk That's with the number 9, not the letter. Podcasts will be published 100 years after the letters were written, so will be published nearly every month. This has been a Mark's Mass production. Sorry.